This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We do welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, new technology, uh, the internet, the big red button, uh, all of the important stuff uh, that is going around this week. Tonight uh, on the show, we do have Tyler Smythe. How are you, Tyler? I'm going great, Warren. How are you? I'm pretty good too. Have you had a good week in technology? Has it been working for you, working uh, against you? Judging by the show we've got coming up, I think it's been very interesting. Yeah? Uh, I've probably had a, uh, I'd say a fair week. I've been a fair week. wrestling yeah. with a weird um, CMS that has been causing a few problems. But um, yeah, I'm excited to be here and to, and to talk about other stuff. Uh, the commercial use of AI uh, had a bit of a false start. Um, if you are a bit of a chess nerd, hello chess nerds out there, um, you may recall the moment when an IBM computer, Deep Blue, uh, beat the chess master or grandmaster, uh, Gary Kasparov, uh, back in the 80s. And we all thought that AI had arrived, but proved out to be not quite as smart uh, as we thought it was. Uh, since then, um, technology has moved ahead uh, considerably, and we're now seeing um, a lot more, um, I guess, commercial applications of AI um, uh, across all of the platforms that we use and um, and interact with. Uh, Web Directions is one of the world's best gatherings for developers, makers, producers, etc., and they're actually hosting their first AI conference in Sydney next month. So we'll be joined by Web Directions co-founder uh, John Alsop and one of the speakers at the AI conference, Alistair Hamilton, uh, in just a moment. But uh, before we do have that chat, there is heaps of stuff going on around the world, uh, not the least of which is um, an interesting leak from Apple. Um, via its own software, um, mm. which is another way to be leaked. Um, I suppose if it's going to happen, um, at least it's not a treacherous or, or bitter employee or, or yeah. something like that. Use what you got, I say. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's actually being leaked uh, through um, the HomePod um, software. Um, the HomePod is kind of like a, a big thing for, um, for the house, but a developer uh, working on it, uh, Steve Troughton-Smith, um, spotted the release of some details on Saturday and has been tweeting his discovery since then. Um, based on the firmware, um, it looks as if we'll be losing the home button on mm. the iPhone 8. Um, they're minimalizing more and more with each new iteration. So it'll be an interesting approach, I think. Mm. I, I think users have always wanted that haptic feedback or physical feedback on their phones. So we'll see how... Apple fans will adapt to that, I think. Mm. Mm. It's actually going to be, uh, they suspect, um, facial recognition. So ah. uh, so you'll get rid of the bevel and it'll be like some of the other um, devices that are out there uh, right now. But yeah, kind of embarrassing. I guess you can't really stop big news like that mm. from, from getting out. But um, when it's in your own um, software, that's yeah. a, little, a little bit sad. That's, a, that's, a, that's on them. I'll leave that one. Uh, con continuing with Apple news, sad day for music tech enthusiasts. The iPod, as of today, is no longer available in stores on of any sort. Um, the iPod Touch still lives on, um, so they, you can still buy the Touch with 32 gig of storage, but... A lot of uh, iPod fanatics will argue that that's not a real iPod. That is just an iPhone light. Um, did you did you have one of the early iPods? I did. I did. Mm. I had an old classic 160 gig, mm. uh, which was 
my life at that point. It was uh, my everyday carry. Had your it, was your, it was your car, it was yep. your house. Yep, and had everything yep. that I could need in life on that iPod. Was it a uh, white one or did you yeah, have another one? white yep. one. Yeah, can't get any more classic than that. Mm. Had some friends with the shuffles who used mm. to uh, try and show me songs and spend two hours cycling through their 300 mm. songs on their, on their shuffle till they got to it and uh, it was always worth the payoff, I would say. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's kind of yeah. It is a uh, it is a sad day. Um, I think it, yeah, it happened a few days back on the store. There, oh, will, yeah. th- there will still be stock out there, but um, I don't know. If you're a big fan, you should probably go out and uh, and grab it. I think mm. uh, one of the other things that you should uh, grab or not grab, um, depending on um, your placement, um, is stock in Snap. Um, it's kind of a, I guess, a darling of the uh, social networks at the moment. Um, Snap, or you may know it as Snapchat. Uh, their shares fell uh, on Monday after insider, inside holders got their first opportunity to sell the stock um, since their March um, IPO. Uh, stock has tumbled um, around 5% uh, and it's gone um, a little bit lower at times as well. But um, there's been estimates that as many as 400 million shares could be sold um, in the first lockup expiration. So it's, ugh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to, hard to predict what this means for them in the, in the bigger sense. But um, whenever you can sell stock, people will um, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I was kind of expecting that there'd be something uh, um, deeper and darker behind this, um, like internal rumblings or, you know, we've reported on a lot of the problems at some of these platforms um, over the course of this year. Uh, it's been quite a few, but um, yeah, interesting. I think um, the main concerns from insiders has been that it's going to be hard for it to scale. It's mm. a very competitive industry. Yep. Um, so yeah, probably yeah. something to keep an eye on. Still living in the tech bubble. Mm. See how they fare. Mm. Um, in Queensland, local news, um, the Roads Minister Stephen Miles has announced that um, there will be 18 free fast charging electric car charging stations uh, across Queensland to create a super highway between the Gold Coast and Cairns. Um, they would be free for at least 12 months to encourage people to invest in electric vehicles. Um, uh, it seems like they won't be getting a lot of use in when they're first uh, instated because mm. there are only about 700 fully electric cars in Queensland and uh nearly 1,400 electric vehicles, including hybrids. So hopefully this will encourage people to get on the bandwagon with Tesla and, and other electric car companies and uh, push that forward. Do you think that would, would that encourage you? Are you um, tempted to get a hybrid or I've always car? been tempted, but it's the mm. finances that stop me. So we'll yeah. have to see how Tesla goes with um, making their vehicles more consumer friendly, I would say, yeah. in the price range. That would be yeah. pricey. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Queensland's the right place as well. Yeah, exactly. It um, seems like it would do better around uh, some... Uh, Fur- further yeah, south. Further south, yeah, down here in Melbourne, I think. There would be a lot of people jumping on that as soon as that was there. Hmm. That'd be rad. Uh, one of the other things that um, we can't uh, miss an opportunity to talk about is uh, shooting down asteroids. Uh, if you uh, grew up watching Star Wars um, or any of the kind of... Um, or actually, that was even the name of the um, missile defence program as well, Star Wars. Oh, it was yeah. kind of back in the <laughs> 80s, so Star Wars begets Star Wars. Uh, you'd be interested to know that um, NASA will be testing its first planetary defence uh, network uh, on an approaching asteroid. Um, a story came out on New Atlas recently. Um, they've been tracking uh, the TC4 asteroid, 2012 TC4 asteroid, 
Um, it came past and we realised that it was going to be uh, swinging back around again. So the orbit was plotted out um, and it was predicted that it'll uh, come past us again on October 12 of this year. Um, but it wasn't a, a good enough kind of um, estimate um, for the um, missile def- or for the uh, I'm going to for it for the planetary defence network. Um, so they've had to do uh, a little bit of work since. So they can't be sure of its exact path, only knowing it will brush past within. 4,200 to 170,000 miles um, or sort of 6,000 to 270,000 kilometres of Earth. Um, so the asteroid won't collide with Earth, but it's kind mm. of like, um, I don't know, going out the front and throwing something in the air so you can shoot it with a BB gun. Yeah. Um, so the house isn't in trouble, but the kind it's, of bottle is. It's close enough, yeah, to, for the people to be worried and um, to good, get some good statistics on the whole thing. I personally saw the words planetary defence network and I was expecting lasers. So I'm a little bit let down by uh, that news, but uh, it is exciting nonetheless. It's um, a smallish asteroid. It's um, between 30 and 100 feet across. So um, I feel I feel like we can yeah, we can knock it down. The Chablinsk uh, meteor uh, was actually um, 66 feet um, across. Um, so that was um, caused a lot of damage and injury in 2013. So hopefully, mm. we'll, hopefully we'll get this one. Yeah, hopefully. Um, in more space news, um, there has been a new molecule discovered on Saturn's moon Titan um, that would be important for life to develop. Uh, vinyl cyanide is an organic molecule used in the manufacture of plastics and synthetic rubbers. Uh, while it's toxic to people here on Earth, it's ideally suited to uh, creating life or the beginnings of creating life up there on Titan where instead of water, they have seas of methane, a liquid methane. Wow. Yeah, so... It's uh, computer simulations have suggested that vinyl cyanide would behave in a similar fashion as uh, early cell membranes in Earth's uh, history. Oh, wow. So it has yet to be demonstrated in a laboratory setting, but hope is out there. So let's. It's good to observe. I think that's and a good. That's a good day. That's a good day at work if you yeah, can discover something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you um, are impressed by what the machine in your hand or on your couch is doing right now, uh, it is probably using some form of AI. Uh, you've probably heard uh, those two uh, initials uh, banded around a fair bit. Um, it's because we're doing a, a lot of great stuff with it, and Web uh, Directions have realised that. Uh, you might have come across their conferences from time to time. Um, they're actually hosting their first uh, AI conference in Sydney next month. And we're now joined uh, in the studio with founder, uh, co-founder, uh, John Alsop, and on the phone with one of the speakers, uh, Alistair Hamilton. Um, John and Alistair, thanks for joining us. Hey, you're most welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, what, was, what do you reckon your first experience with AI was, um, if you think back? Uh, when was the first time that you noticed something's going on here and it's not a human? Maybe so, John. So do you mean actually experiencing artificial intelligence? Well, stra- <laughs> so strangely, actually in the in the wild, not that long ago, but I studied computer science in the 1980s and no small part of that was because of my interest in the idea of AI, which had been kicking around, I guess, with science fiction and so on since long before that. So unfortunately what happened was I... I kind of got to third year and we're doing the electives and it was like the second half of third year and we did AI and it was like hill climbing algorithms and it was like, seriously, Mm. this is what it was all about. And funnily enough, it's now 30 plus years later when we're starting to see the things that actually interest me happen in Mm. the flesh that Mm. um, that, that have come to fruition. Alistair, what was your first experience with AI, do you think? Um, 
We actually, one of the, this was something you mentioned earlier in the program, was the Gary Kasparov, the famous uh, chess match with Deep Blue. Uh, that was my first interesting exposure to AI. And um, obviously the, the state of the industry and, and research is very different from that now, but it was um, very, very compelling and quite interesting uh, initial yeah, introduction. Did you get one of the um, uh, chess programs, those little boards from uh, Data Grandpa for Christmas? Straight after that, I, said, yeah. I, I, I had heaps yeah, of them that exactly. would beat me, and I would just kind of throw them in the corner, and that was that. Yep, yep. <laughs> so fast forward, um, Web Directions has, has been um, uh, around for quite a few years now, and probably one of the, the strongest conferences in the region and um, around the world. Even what what made you decide that you needed to address AI, and that there was a lot of work happening in Australia? So the, what really interests me is if you look at the space, we see this very much about the technology that focuses on what the technology is and how it works. But what I think is really interesting is when technology gets in the hands of designers and product people and they start realising, well, if we add this bit of intelligence to this thing, and this amazing stuff will happen. And the analogy I keep coming back to is, so take your smartphone, right, and get rid of predictive text. It doesn't do predictive text. How much less useful would every aspect of that phone be? Um, and to me, that's a great application of, of what you might call AI. Uh, and also that shows that it doesn't have to be sci-fi. It doesn't have to be this big picture thing that is transformative and world-changing. It can be a little thing that makes an existing product or service in some ways profoundly better, even though it doesn't kind of, we don't even think about it. It's just like the air we breathe. So to me, what I'm trying to do is to expose designers and people who build products and services to what is capable now, and it's less about the kind of depth of the technology, although that's interesting and important, and more about how those people can take these ideas and embed them in, in existing things that they're, they're building, as well as build whole new classes of things that, that maybe haven't been possible till now. There's, um, we, we talked about maybe last year the idea of um, calm technology or the idea of things that are just there working in the background. That so I, I think Rachel Binks, is, is she, uh, I think she might be. even co have coined that term, yeah. Yeah, I think we were talking about, uh, oh, um, yeah, there was a technologist in the States. But, yeah, she was um, suggesting that that's, that's what she's pushing for. That was her particular stream. And, you know, get rid of all these devices and just things are there when you need them and they're there intuitively. Like, you know, if you're left-handed, they're just there. Um, do you do you feel that that is what we're doing well in Australia? Are we developing these kind of products and things and kind of you know uh, windscreen wipers that sense there's rain and they just kind of do that? Are we is is that what we're good at in Australia, or are we working on in other parts of AI? So I, I'm seeing it quite broadly applied, and and Alistair probably can can speak to this even more so. But I just noticed yesterday that. Uh, that Amazon have just run a competition, not dissimilar to the, the famous Netflix competition to kind of improve their algorithm. And Amazon was around kind of robots sorting stuff. And it was won by a team from QUT. So, oh, so basically mm. kind of some of the smartest robots on earth are coming out of Australia. Mm. But we're seeing this in all sorts of areas. I'm really surprised by the kind of level of... of um, uh, of use and adoption of AI in, in all sorts of areas uh, in Australia, in, in business, for example. Um, and, and as I said, I think Alistair is kind of across this even more. Alistair, you're uh, um, yeah. a, a person behind um, Remy AI, um, an Australian AI startup. What, what um, drove the founding of Remy? 
Uh, yeah, I was uh, studying in the UK and uh, attended a talk by Demisa Sabis, one of the founders of DeepMind, and there was um, they were showing some of their work, that very early work they were doing on visual recognition and, and some reinforcement learners, and I just walked away with watching a computer basically learn to play a computer game by itself, and uh, I just thought that that, that alone is, is quite a phenomenal thing if you think about it but to, for an AI to start out or a computer to start out with no ability to play a game and to develop and learn its own skills at that game and learn about the game that it's playing um, was quite phenomenal and I, I then came back to Australia and um, set about basically establishing an AI research group in Australia because at the time there was Basically nothing um, in the space for Australian companies. Um, this is before the real AI craze. And have been working on, on our research and also working with many Australian companies trying to incorporate some of the most recent technological developments into their business processes. So um, it's been really interesting working alongside some of the, the Australian companies. It's been really positive takeoff, uh, mainly in financial management we're finding and, and other things like Google Analytics and, and predicting um, predicting things from weather impact to financial impact and things like that. And for example, we're working with a well, working with a farming uh, company or agriculture company at the moment looking at trying to predict uh, the rate at which livestock are drinking water when at different temperatures uh, throughout the year and then so farmers aren't having to drive kilometres and kilometres to check on a dam um, and instead with some basic sensors, some satellite communication and AI we can hopefully give farmers a much better understanding of what, what, what dam levels they're going to have tomorrow or the day after. Mm. Um, so yeah, we, we're seeing some very interesting uptake. So your, your session uh, at the conference next month is uh, looking to give us the, the 5,000 foot view of the current landscape. How would you explain AI to somebody, how would you sort of give it the proverbial pub test and, and explain what's going on here in Australia and, and, and what it means to people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, to start, there's three main areas in AI research and in, in their applications in current industry. The, the first and most simple is what is called supervised learning, which is essentially where humans are manually going through and labeling data, say, for example, an image of a cat and labeling thousands of images of cats, quite a laborious task. And then we're feeding thousands of images of cats to computers and um, you know, supervised algorithm is then eventually learning what a cat looks like and it's able to identify that and we're seeing that sort of algorithm used throughout industry so Snapchat's um, facial recognition is based off that technology Google um, images they have you can now just type in dog into your own Google photos and it'll pick up all the photos of a dog within your collection they're using it for number plate recognition for I kind of feel like this is a really fun job though all the people out there who like to look at pictures of cats um, will will have no have no work (laughs) technological unemployment for people who love cats yeah exactly Um, and and we're also seeing aspects of that supervised recognition being used in autonomous vehicles and 
being able to recognise houses on the roads and things like that. Uh, so when you've got, say, a person, a pedestrian, stepping out onto the road, that incident is essentially flagged by a human as a pedestrian and then the image, the supervised image algorithm is able to eventually detect hazards like that. Um, but not next, kangaroos. Apparently it's been yeah. struggling with kangaroos. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, for, for lack of labelled data mm. and, um, and not proper training. The, the next area... Um, well, actually, I might talk about a little further. The, you might, as we've mentioned, we've got uh, the famous match between Gary Kasparov and IBM's Deep Blue uh, was a very early um, form of AI and it was a very, very phenomenal feat in technological development and quite exciting. And But on the, on the other hand, that chess program had all the rules of chess built into it so that the AI from the very beginning knew every the worth of every piece and knew all the possible moves. And it was essentially doing by brute search that was able to beat Gary Kasparov. But you can't help but walk away being more impressed by Gary Kasparov because not only was he, well, until then, <laughs> grand chess master, <laughs> he also could speak five languages, he wrote books, could tie shoelaces, could drive a car. And um, that, that ability comes from a much more generalized learning algorithm in his in his brain and so when IBM tried to take Deep Blue and set it up to play checkers they ended up having to rewrite the entire program and humans just don't learn like that and um, the next two areas of, of AI that I wanted to talk about being uh, super unsupervised learning and then reinforcement learning are around that area which is essentially trying to imitate the way humans learn um, so you may have may likely have heard of Deep, uh, Deep Minds AlphaGo uh, victories over the um, world champion Go players recently. Oh, I didn't. No, no. Yeah. So it, that that is essentially quite a phenomenal feat in AI because instead of the rules of the game being built into that AI as they were in Deep Blue. The, they, take, they took two AIs and let them play against each other. And by letting them play against each other, they started out just like a baby when it's born, had no understanding of the world that it was in, but slowly developed um, an understanding of what was possible and what wasn't possible in the universe of, or the game of Go, and slowly learnt over millions, playing millions of matches against itself, uh, how to play and then how to become quite good at Go and then to become superhuman at Go. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that feat was as what is down to what's called reinforcement learning. And reinforcement learning, as the name sort of applies, is based around reward mechanisms. So essentially giving computers or AIs rewards for doing something well and punishing them for doing something badly. Um, and this, this to me, well, the supervised learning that I mentioned earlier is, has been very exciting, but the reinforcement learning uh, algorithms that are emerging and what we're working on, I believe that's where the real magic is going to occur for industry in, in the coming decades. Um, because 
you can essentially set up an AI, define what is a positive thing for it to do and define what is a negative thing to do. And just like a child born into the world um, who is learns and is you if you um, get it in trouble for doing something bad or you give it <laughs> a cookie for doing something good, mm -hmm. um, the AI can, just as a child learns how to yeah, move around in the world like that, the AI can learn. Um, so we're, it's very early days for reinforcement learning, but we're seeing some very interesting applications in stock market, um, in self-driving vehicles, especially in drone um, and all, yeah, UAVs, which is some of, we've been working in that space ourselves a little bit. And also in other things like just moving money in company finances and, and bidding mechanisms around auctions in, say, Google AdWords, things like that. Um, Alistair, I, I read an interesting piece today about um, from a, a Google insider. I'm not really sure if he's a whistleblower, but um, his name is Tristan Harris, and he said that the algorithms that we're creating are um, obviously making our lives better in some ways, but we're also becoming a slave to these because the algorithms are learning faster than we can learn to adapt to them. We're basically running on, you know, software that's tens of thousands of years old, but you've got 100 mm. engineers at YouTube sitting around trying to figure out what video to play you next. We can't compete with algorithms. How do we figure out, how do we build in um, humanity and um, good into these things if ultimately they're being funded by a purpose or th there is a reason that's not necessarily a, a human reason? Mm. Yeah, uh, there's some, some elementary methodologies like setting up simple safety switches where, where things can be we switched off if if the algorithm is going haywire or behaving in a manner that it shouldn't be behaving. Um, Even in uh, the design, though, because the, one of the contentions he had was the second thing we need to do is design for, for yeah. humans. We don't keep up. We make mistakes. Um, we contradict ourselves, th those kinds of things. How do, we, how do we build it in, even? Maybe it's too big a question. No, no. Well, as I was mentioned before, the rewards that are, uh, that are defining the values that these algorithms take on just need to be aligned with our own values. So uh, to give a very simple example, if you're working on a, uh, autonomous vehicles, just in sh I think, and this will take a, a lot of collaboration and a lot of well, ethics, actually, I think that for one of the first times in quite a long time, philosophers are on a deadline because we do have to come up with very, very serious solutions here. But the the values of the AI in the autonomous vehicle need to be aligned with the passengers um, so that the vehicle will save the passengers potentially over a pedestrian that steps out. Um, there, there are serious design decisions to be made there. Uh, should we take the scenic route rather than the fastest route every time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I think that a lot of these uh, algorithms are already being designed to take a lot of human input. So you, they're, they're not fully autonomous. They're not being asked, or yeah, humans are asking the algorithm to do what it wants. And there is that interaction is the most fundamental aspect of that question. Mm. Um, just ensuring that the algorithms are doing what the human is asking. 
John, what are you most excited about about the day? It's kind of going to be a fairly intensive day and uh, I can see that you're kind of jumping in sort of midway through to kind of make sense of it and, and sort of run a panel. But if, if you had sort of one talk or one thing to get to, what interests you most? So uh, I guess what we've, we've outlined is three aspects that are really important. I think there's the technology, uh, wh- how does it work and what does it enable? Then there are the design opportunities, like what can we make with it? And finally, there's the business side, right? Like what are the use cases, what are the business cases? So to me, there's sort of this tripod and, and bringing those three together is I think what's gonna accelerate the application of these technologies into our broader life. So to me, what I'm trying, rather than any specific thing, I'm mean, gonna tr- tease out how all of these three work together to, to, to get these technologies more into our lives. Can you still get along to this? Is Are there still tickets available Absolutely. if you're in it's, Sydney? Absolutely. It's been very popular, mm-hmm. but you can get along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you just head along to the website, uh, we've got um, uh, tickets available there and... Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to be very popular. It's, it's already had a, had, a, had a very significant uptake. But uh, uh, hopefully if it sounds interesting to people, we, we might see them along there. Get along. It's webdirections.org slash AI. Uh, and, um, yeah, there's um, a lot of good local talent and, uh, and some people from around the place that you should be checking out. All right, so what have we got to learn about today? Warren? We are looking at uh, one of the fun effects that we do like on Bite Into It. Uh, we do have an optician amongst us. So we thought, let's have a look at Parallax, which is one of the fun things behind the AR apps that you do use. So um, to kind of, it's pretty consistent across most of the things that are involved. Um, and it's actually uh, a cool part of the um, AR kit. Um, which is um, part of Apple's um, iOS. Um, it's basically a part of the developer package to help programmers create um, amazing AR apps. And it's good to have a pretty basic understanding of, of how it works, um, Parallax. So it's not the, what kind of is like the, the web effect if you're a, a mm. designer, but a little bit different. So um, one way to demonstrate it, it's actually useful for um, measuring the distance um, from a single um, perspective. So mm. it's things like measuring how far it is from you to the wall behind you using the camera on your phone. Yep. Or so, measuring distance between celestial objects. Yeah. Which is true. Yeah. Which we'll come to. Yes. I reckon, I reckon, you, can, I reckon yeah. you want to talk about that All one. Right, no worries. <laughs> um, so um, we can do a simple test. If you're, if you're not driving your car, if you're just sitting around right now, um, take out your arm, um, take out uh, your arm in front of you and have a look at your left, uh, have a look at your thumb with your left eye. So you've got your right eye shut, you're looking at your thumb, you're sticking your arm out in front of you and you're looking at a dis- an object behind your thumb, so maybe the wall or the coffee table mm-hmm. or something like that. Now what I want you to do is to shut your left eye and open your right eye and look at, look at it again and just keep switching. You can see it looks like the thumb is dancing back and forward um, relative to the objects behind you. So what you can actually do with that, um, if you're running an app or if you're a um, developer or what have you, you can actually um, take a measure on an object in the foreground um, and uh, use the um, distance between that and the back. Mm-hmm. Well, you basically figure out the distance between the item in the foreground and the item in the background. Yeah. And then you can do things like render objects um, in that plane. Um, you can uh, run animations across it, across it. Yeah, it's a it's a really s- simple uh, algorithm as well. It's just uh, distance is equal to the shift in the object over the angle. 
crazy. So, it's like yeah. an Einstein kind of yeah, equation. Yeah, it's like E equals MC squared. Yeah, a couple letters. We got it. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, and they actually use that uh, to come up with uh, what they call the heliocentric model, which I think has a space application. Is that... Is that mm. right? uh, so yes, the um, it's uh, your general way of finding celestial bodies. Um, Galileo, I think, came up with the heliocentric model, and that's how he figured out that we were living on a planet with stuff uh, revolving around stuff, as opposed to Whoa. stuff revolving around us. By looking at the shifts between the moon and the sun, and uh, using this parallax method, um, would calculate through mm. that very, very simple equation or algorithm, I should say, yep. that um, where we were in relation to the other celestial objects. Um, and it's still used in astronomy today to calculate distance to further away stars and um, along with a lot of other factors, there's a lot of stuff that goes into astronomy. Um, but yeah, it's very, very interesting application of a very simple effect. There is a, a, a nerdy um, side note that comes out of this. Um, Han Solo was actually wrong. The Millennium Falcon couldn't have made the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs. That's not even a time, but even though it sounds really <laughs> cool. So really, if Star Wars had a science advisor, they should have recommended some other time unit. Um, so a megasec, or perhaps you could use quantsec. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, so interesting. It goes back, there was always that argument uh, about the parsecs, whether it was distance or time, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a different a story for a different day. It is. Um, so I, th I think that's uh, now you all know how that dancing hot dog appears on your Snapchat filters all over all over Instagram and Snapchat. We have a few things to chat about. Uh, just a few minutes left on the show before we hand over to mm. Mr. Carew, who is calmly organising his show out in the green room. He's, uh, he's here early for once, which is good to see. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Weird News of the Week, our favourite segment on the show. If you're a linguist and you know a lot about Australian swang, uh, slang, I should say, uh, hit up Amazon because they're looking for someone to help them refine their echo voice recognition software to uh, actually understand what we say. Um, uh, we have a lot of phrases, obviously, and uh, certain pronunciations of words that um, um, Americans and other international software companies are very much struggling with putting into a uh, software. Flat out like a lizard drinking, yeah. uh, Warney, Cardi. Cabsav. Cabsav. Sav blank. <laughs> all of those things. Yeah, she's looking fine. All those things. Um, Oi. Yeah, and the interesting thing to, to, to know is that um, it's considered by linguists that we have over 240 languages spoken in Australia. And so it, they would have to not only um, decode uh, English, Australian English, they would also have to uh, decode um, our immigrants and uh, second generation accents of Australian English and how they would all come across. Uh, we've got Aboriginal varieties, we've got uh, Mandarin accents using Australian uh, vocabulary. Uh, it's a big job and they've sort of hit a black hole uh, in, in their job search or employee search, I should say. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, hit them up and uh, I'm sure you'll be in uh, very quick. Mm. Mm. They are um, suggesting that they've got to, um, basically out of all of the variations, generate uh, a fairly standard um, Australian English, a generalised Australian English. And they're also suggesting it shouldn't be phased too much by um, state or regional-based differences. Mm -hmm. You know how you, people can pick, say, people from Adelaide um, yeah. pretty quickly. Um, they're suggesting that, say, people from Perth and people from Sydney aren't going to sound too different mm. in terms of the... the the algorithm they're going to create there. Mm. Interesting. Um, 
Another thing that was a little bit weird, uh, especially what we were talking about a little bit earlier in the show and mm. um, the philosophy behind intelligence, have you ever thought about being microchipped at work? All the time. All, All the, the time. time. Yeah. Only in the US. Um, if you do work at uh, the Wisconsin technology company, uh, Three Square Market, uh, 32M, um, 41 of its 85 employees agreed to be voluntarily microchipped during a chip party at a company headquarters in River Falls. Um, the technology will allow employees to open doors, uh, log onto computers. I do like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, or access all those platforms that we have to have passwords for, um, or buy break room snacks by simply waving their hand. Uh, we came across this and saw it being used in other societies, and we said, why not us, um, said the um, chief operating officer. Um, it's pretty small. It's um, If you can imagine, a um, they've got like a, uh, a dime. Um, it's probably shorter than a 10-cent piece and mm-hmm. quite narrow like a little baton. Yeah, that seems... Still a little big, in in my opinion, to have something inside you. Where would you Where would you get it if you could have a choice? Uh, probably in the wrist. I think would be the smartest place because then you got. If you need to scan it to things, you can yeah. wave it at things. Like you wouldn't want it in your uh, in your pecs it, or something. I got it in my heel, which is a real problem if you're trying to get like that yeah, Mount, Mount Franklin at the top yeah, of the yeah. machine. You know, it's uh, the next step for Visa PayWave. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. We do have a um, an opportunity that uh, we wanted to flag as well um, uh, before we do go. Uh, Buzz Conference, um, Technology, Family, Innovation, and Fun um, is going to be at um, Ballon uh, from the first to third of December. Um, Early bird tickets are now available. Um, it looks pretty good. It's kind of like a, um, a regional thing. Um, I haven't been to Ballon in a little while. But um, is there anything that jumps out at you about this one? Uh, not so much. I, I've, mm. I've never actually been to a tech festival, which mm. is uh, something that I should probably do being on this show. Well, you're on the right show. On the right show. So yep. get all those opportunities. I know about them. It's just a matter of getting to them, getting out of bed. Getting months. out of bed. Yeah. Especially this time of year, it's pretty hard. Oh, 100%. Hey, uh, thank you very much to our guests for uh, coming on the show tonight. Uh, thank you to John and also to Alistair. Um, if you're into uh, AI, um, there are still tickets available to the uh, Web Directions uh, Festival in Sydney. Uh, we will tweet out uh, a link to that as well um, if you want to get along and you're going to be up in Sydney next month. Um, if you're interested in Parallax, uh, you can hit up Tyler because yep. um, he knows all about it. I'm and, apparently an expert right now. And Galileo. <laughs> Um, Thanks very much for tuning in. It's been a fun show. Up next is Anthony Carew with the International Pop Underground. So stick around. Have a good night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.